Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fans, if you're wondering why the dulcet tones of Nick Gavinden aren't the ones introing you into this episode, it is because we decided to change things up for a day. That's right. I was the one to intro this episode. And indeed, we will be having a slightly shorter episode today discussing the Champions League group stages, all that went down there, and some surprise clubs dropping down into the definitively second tier competition of the Europa League despite what Arsenal fans might tell you. Joining me, Nathan Strauss, today is Caleb Rhodes. Hello. It is I, Nathan Strauss, hosting (laughs) the episode today. (laughs) Fear me! Fear me! It's Nathan Strauss Ganji. You need to break out the little, um, you need to break out the little like puppeteer thing whenever you oh, do that. Man. It's like yeah. Messi's puppet in the Champions League yeah, no, like, report. Me- yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly what I was thinking of. But on a slightly more serious note, we may as well get things started off. Do I not get, a, about... do I not get a, oh. <laughs> an introduction? <laughs> and joining us alongside Caleb Rhodes is Nick Gavinden. Yeah, Nathan is taking the reins this episode because I have a cold and my nose feels like it is about to. <laughs> has a a just a river of germs running through it right now which is that's not a great fun. image that's a great image right there you're about to have your flu game basically um, this is my mj this is the podcasting equivalent of the michael jordan flu game right now which to be fair it, there is precedent for when one of us is sick the pods do tend to go much better you you might recall the the episode earlier on in the year when i was like <laughs> practically on my deathbed my voice was so low that uh it was probably in like the second register on a piano. Uh, on a more serious note, I think we should start off by talking today about a first for a Champions League match. Um, Istanbul Basaksehir here against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, allegations of racism against a the fourth official for this match, who's from Romania, who referred to the black assistant coach of Istanbul Basaksehir here as that black guy, uh, which prompted some outcry from the Istanbul bench, um, including a really strong reaction from uh, Demba Ba. The assistant coach was red-carded, Pierre Webu, and eventually um, Besakshahir left the field and PSG followed, and the match was eventually postponed. This was a a big moment because I think we've talked about uh, social justice a lot on this podcast and sort of about how players and teams have a hard time doing the right thing in response to acts of racism and how leagues and federations have had a hard time um, doing the right thing as well. But it seems to me like when PSG and Istanbul Bisekshi here abandoned the match out of principle, it seemed like that was a really positive thing that came out um, of a, of a bad incident. Yeah. I think this, this in, in equal parts frustrated and, frustrated me and made me feel extremely proud at the same time. I think the really frustrating thing is twofold because in no context should anyone in a professional setting, like I think as fans, sometimes you forget that like these, these players on the field, these 22 players are at work. They're working. These referees are also at work. They're working. And I think in no like field of employee, would you call someone who you're working with the black one or the brown one or as Demba Ba even said 
the white one. You wouldn't classify your your peers, your working peers by their race. So I think for anyone to not say that it is discriminatory, I think it's clearly wrong. It's just not it's just not in any way professional to bring race onto the football pitch in that context, especially from an official who's meant to be running the game. Also, it's patronizing to hear people in the aftermath of all of this trying to like play the expert on Romanian culture and being like, oh, like in Romanian, in Roma- in Romania might not be such a huge deal to call someone the black one. And then I'm just like Dembaba and Pirubu are two really experienced. Pirubu is an ex-player. Dembaba, obviously an extremely experienced player throughout Europe. They know what it looks like to be discriminated against. Dembaba has played in a number of places around the world. Pierre Wabu the same. For them to mobilize in the way that they did and for the PSG players, Neymar and Mbappe specifically, to walk off that pitch, I think was a huge moment in European football and hopefully is one that's replicated in the future if incidents like this continue to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit all the, the important points there. I think the big one, right, is just it, it's just unprofessional, right? Like it, it's so unnecessary to address people by their race when like you could say the assistant coach or you could say their name like there's there's so many different ways uh, and i think your point about you know people playing like expert on romanian culture is so funny because i love that like twitter response where it's like super niche right like oh yeah i know that in bucharest that's a romanian city right yes See, I'm half Romanian, so... I was going to say, you're the Romania expert. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I was just, hoping um, you'd yeah. you drop some let me, Romanian knowledge. Let me, let, me, let me play the Romanian expert here. <laughs> um, no. but So I, I just think, right, it's, it's just an instance where it was just unprofessional, and I'm glad that the players on both teams sort of quickly decided on an action and followed through with it, and that the, the managerial staff on both teams kind of sort of allowed it to occur. Because we've seen other instances where people have been, you know, racially abused by fans from the stands, et cetera, and, and players have expressed, you know, reasonable discomfort with such things, and they haven't been met with the same kind of positive uh, response. So, and Paris as a city, and also PSG as a club, have been have been host for some of probably the most high profile incidents of of racism in soccer. So it was really nice to see PSG um, as part of the part of the solution. Switching over uh, to Germany, the post-industrial city of Leipzig, where Manchester United were dealt the fatal blow by Julian Nagelsmann and co. Despite a near comeback in the dying moments of the game, the final score, Leipzig 3, Manchester United 2. Guys, it's Manchester. Dude, what was Ole trying to do in this game? What was the game plan? Because I remember the day before in the pre-match press conference, he was like, we're going to go out there to try and win the game. That's in Manchester United's DNA. We're not going to sit back and try and look for a nil-nil draw. And then the lineups came out and he was playing a back five in a defensive midfield two of McTominay and Emmanuel Matic. It's one thing to try and play with a back three to, to try and attack a more expansive side like RB Leipzig, who we know like to play through the channels and they do that extremely well. But Manchester United looked like they had never played this formation in their lives because they probably hadn't played this iteration of a back five in their lives. And they were all over the place in the opening 20 minutes of this game. 
Leipzig were breaking with ease. Juan Bissaka and Luke Shaw probably had their worst game as a fullback duo, I guess. Juan Bissaka especially guilty for their opening goal. And if you're Manchester United, if you're game planning for this game, you should know that Angelino is their top scorer. Like, that's not a hard thing to figure out if you're the Manchester United scouts. And within two minutes, their most prolific player in the in the season scores a goal. And it was just an all-around failure in a big game for Manchester United. And ironically, they looked their best when Paul Pogba, the figure of great controversy after Mainariola's comments in the week, and Donny van de Beek came on. I was just so perplexed with the way that Ole set up this game. And I'm not surprised that now there are rumors coming out that some of the senior players are getting pretty annoyed with the fact that their form is being stunted by the constant switching around of of tactics. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this several times, about how Ole has never found a formation. One week he goes with the narrowest formation possible. This week he goes with the widest formation possible, and yet still somehow doesn't have someone to mark the wingbacks. It's also as though he didn't watch the Leipzig versus Bayern game over the weekend and was like, damn, they're going to use some type of strikerless false nine formation. And it's really going to mess with our team, especially if we don't have a mobile midfield, right? Because we saw Goretzka and Javi Martinez just couldn't handle it at all. So, of course, what does he do? He puts McTominay and Matic, two of their least mobile midfield players, on the field. Bruno Fernandes is offering nothing defensively. And it was just an utter disaster. Also, just as a personal point, I always think it's so weak when, like, in theory, better teams change their formation to sort of deal with a lesser opponent. I think it's always a bad look sort of mentally for Manchester United to be like, oh, crap, we have to change how our team looks to play like RV Leipzig. So I think the mentality was off. I think the formation was off. And frankly, Solskjaer, who we've always thought is tactically inept, was completely found out today or yesterday, two days ago, whenever it was, um, against a Leipzig team that is one of the most tactically complex um, in soccer. Yeah, you could not find, I think, more... Di- the the managerial styles of Julian Nagelsmann and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could not be more fundamentally different. You have a team that basically plays like a highly modernized version of total football going up against a team that, you know, gets the ball to their creative player and sort of lets him do the magic. So I predicted Leipzig would win. Um when Nick and I discussed uh, the the Bayern Leipzig result, I said that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be scared. Um, and frankly, this game could have finished, you know, four two as well. There was a goal that Veli uh, Orban scored a goal that was called back for offsides. I think correctly, but I mean, the game was pretty even if you look at the stats. But throughout the first seventy minutes, it was not remotely even whatsoever. You know, United had a lot of circulation of the ball around their back three, and you know, even Harry Maguire as the central center back with McTominay and Matic, that's an incredibly immobile center of the pitch going back to the, to the, to the back line, not just in the midfield. So huge game coming up at the weekend for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, who despite all the reports from Manchester might be getting to, might be beginning to feel his seat warm up a little bit. That's the thing, right? Is that they just, they don't want to, they don't seem to want to play the first half of any game. And against these, these good teams like RB Leipzig and Manchester city, they're going to get punished to the point where they can't come back in the second half. 
like it's fine to go down one nil against West Ham because you know they have the attacking quality to come out in the second half and put on a good performance. But against RB Leipzig and against Manchester City, I think there's a real possibility this weekend that they go down like two or three nil in the first half and they're only able to claw Bruno is only able to claw them one goal back in the second half and it only gets worse for United. I, I mean, we should be rooting for City to win. Or no, actually, sorry, we should be rooting for United to win, like, very unconvincingly, right? So that it lets him keep his job. I just don't think it's possible at this point, because I think their ceiling is beating, like, the Southampton and West Ham's of the world in the second half, right? I don't think they have the quality over 90 minutes to actually tactically outplay these better teams. And the best part about it is that he spends his entire second half using his substitutes to try to plug the gaps that he should have plugged at the beginning of the game. And they look way better. Yeah, but it's just hilarious to see Manchester United bringing on Williams, Twanzebe, and Fasu Mensa as three of their subs in a must-win Champions League game. I, I think what it really shows too is that that five-nil win over Leipzig was a total fluke. If you if you take that I mean, I don't think away, so. if you take that result away from the rest of their Champions League campaign, you get a side that scraped a win away to PSG by one goal. You get well, a side that was destroyed at home against PSG. Here's the thing, I think. In the PSG game, I think they actually could have won that game had they taken their early chances. But we know that this team offensively, when they get going, are really elite and they're lethal. Like Martial on his day is a really good striker. He hasn't been this season. Rashford is a really good striker. Lethal with the finishing. Mason Greenwood is coming into form. Bruno Fernandes has been unplayable this season. So I think them beating a team 5-0 on their day is not entirely surprising. However, I think that is the rare occasion. And more frequently than not, they're going to get outplayed because of the way that Ole sets them up. Shall we move on to the familiar sight of Cristiano Ronaldo banging in the penalties at Camp Nou? It was Juventus 3, Barcelona 0 in the latest of humiliating results for the Blaugrana. Caleb, Caleb you're no no stranger to this matchup. Caleb, Caleb, when I was watching this game, I was like, okay, it's a dead rubber. It's going to, the United Leipzig game is going to be the more important one. It's going to be the more entertaining one. However, <laughs> it's another European collapse for Barcelona. How many of these can they have in a calendar year now? Barcelona are so skilled at turning an essentially meaningless game into a terrible loss. Um, and I also have just a, a great tradition at this point of kind of often missing a lot of these humiliating defeats like the liverpool's comeback against uh barcelona i was moving out of my dorm room (laughs) this game i i wasn't even planning on watching it to begin with because i was like it doesn't really matter but i was also driving back from vermont so all i could see was on apple carplay that my phone was just getting blown up the only thing i saw was that ronaldo scored a penalty right before i left and i was like Hmm, that's definitely the uh, auspicious start. This game was terrible. I, I've watched the like extended highlights. Um, our defense definitely is missing some leadership. I think Lenglet is not really sort of proving to be a massive veteran voice. I also think that Messi had just like honestly a showdown for the ages with Buffon in this game. Like Messi had something like nine shots on target. And Buffon was there for every single one of them. And low-key, he didn't, Messi didn't even seem like flustered. He was honestly like there for it. I just think that 
he was just you know statistically well, he, there's he, the one there's the one chance where he, Buffon saved I think it was a shot in the second half and then Messi like tugged on his shirt yeah to be and like, then they ex- yeah and then they exchanged shirts at the end so I think Messi you know probably deserved a goal on the day I mean once again we outpossessed this Juve team we outshot this Juve team we outdribbled this Juve team we had more corners so in a lot of ways I think you know the two penalties for Ronaldo make this look like a worse loss than it is. But at the end of the day, it was also a game where we shouldn't have lost by three goals and we surrendered, you know, top spot in our group. And now we're probably the most likely team we are to face based off of like who can't play whomever else is Bayern Munich. And just the way the soccer gods slash the UEFA match fixers um, are going to do it is they want they want the rematch. They want the rematch, and I don't want the rematch. I really don't want the rematch. Well, either you get uh, you get it's you get Bayern Munich in the rematch, or you get us in the rematch, or you get Chelsea. I mean, uh, it's it, the fact that it's a one in four chance of 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 drawing Bayern. Um, I think says it all, and I think that if Bayern do end up drawing this Barcelona team, who are notably weaker than they were uh, when the two sides met about four months ago. Uh, while Bayern have only gotten stronger, it's like that meme. My powers have doubled since the last time we met. Um, I, well, I don't think we would see a scoreline of 16-4. Um, I do think there would be a similar result um, that maybe would hasten the exit of Komen. Again, it seems like we're just going through the same uh, thought process that we were. <laughs> um, in dude, the Komen, Komen is dead. I, dude, Komen is a sitting duck. Komen right is now. A, is a, is yeah, it's a lame duck right now. And if you're getting out coached by Pirlo, out tactics by Pirlo, who's been managing for about five seconds, then that's a real worry. And I think it's important to note in this game that Weston McKinney banger showed up on the day, and he got his banger. he got his like Jordan logo esque goal, that little scissor kick, the little combo with one two with Quadrado into the box, finishing with a scissor kick. I don't understand why any Barcelona player was not marking him, but that's neither here nor there because he got his like uh, framed highlight moment that he'll have for the rest of his career. Yeah, I'm going to buy the McKenny ones. My next, yeah, complete. absolutely. <laughs> for Juve, they topped the group. For Barcelona, they have certainly made their task a lot more difficult. Well, I have, I have a I have a question for Caleb because I think do you think that for me it just seemed like as the game kept going. Normally, I always think of Messi as a player who always fancies himself to go on and get that goal. To me, as the game kept going, it just felt to me that like Messi was looking a little bit more like visibly exhausted as the game continued. Do you think that's like a trend this season? And are you we're about you know a couple weeks away from Messi being able to negotiate with other clubs? Does that exhaustion do you think bode poorly for him staying? I don't think it's exhaustion actually. I think it's just things aren't quite breaking his way. And I think part of that is because he just isn't quite as invested, right? Like in the last two games against Cadiz and Juventus, Messi's put up something like 20 shots, like literally with probably 10 of them on target, right? And so for none of them to go in is, is I think both statistically slightly unusual, um, but also I think just speaks to the fact that he's probably not quite hitting the corners as much as he used to you know his free kicks you know when you put when you have Weston McKenney like on his on the ground behind the line or like Cadiz you have literally this weird kind of like field of players to, to block the ball on the way in I think there's lots of reasons why he hasn't been quite as productive 
But the flip side being is that if you keep taking shots, eventually you're going to score. And so it wouldn't surprise me if like this weekend or whatever, or next weekend, he suddenly has like a hat trick or four goals, right? Yeah, Just as a regression. The benefit of a yeah, I mean, it, see, it seems sort of fitting that, that Buffon was the one who sort of, you know, stymied him in the end. And there were certainly some nostalgic overtones to the game, um, just given the the uncertainty of the futures of, of Messi and Ronaldo, and indeed the ageless wonder in that Gigi Buffon. I mean, yeah, I think it's disappointing that like this is probably the, likely going to be the last Messi versus Ronaldo clash that we're ever going to see, and it was in like a fashion which both Juventus and Barcelona were incredibly are incredibly weak in their positions as clubs right now. As a historic moment important but i think a little bit sad the occasion is marked by sort of a downtime for both for both teams perhaps the the most convoluted of all of the groups uh in this year's champions league contained real madrid borussia mönchengladbach shakhtar donetsk and inter and the group indeed finished in the order which i just listed uh maybe unintentionally uh real madrid knew the situation was that a win would guarantee them a spot in the knockout round. Indeed, I think a draw would have actually done it for them. But Kareem Benzema, again, putting Real Madrid on his back, um, scoring basically two identical goals, uh, giving Real Madrid a victory. Meanwhile, I think the bigger story from this group is Antonio Conte's inter, a side who we lauded as potential uh, Scudetto champions in waiting, crash out of Europe entirely again to the Europa League by Shakhtar Donetsk and their Brazilian export business of children. What do we think about the group that we just witnessed? Uh, and what does this mean for Conte and the future of Inter? Well, okay, first two things. Yeah. Wait, actually, Nick, you take it. <laughs> no, I think I was going to just skip over the Brazilian export thing. Because I think it just, I understand what you were saying, but I don't think I, it was it, the phrase, No, the phrasing was wrong. It, the, the words were in my head, but they didn't form the correct sentence. Yeah, I just don't want people to think that we're no, running I, some sort of like, <laughs> some sort uh, of, I don't even I, want to say it for the. The Brazilian Wonder Kid Factory. There you go. That's a corner kick becomes part of a QAnon conspiracy oh, no. theory. Oh, no. <laughs> but this is like the, the like Undertaker meme for Real Madrid. Him just like the Undertaker just like sitting up, right? Because I felt like Real Madrid, we all thought they were going to, that Glogbach were going to be able to get a result just based off of the previous couple of games that we've seen from Real Madrid in this Champions League. They haven't looked phenomenal in any game they played. They had the one game against Inter, the 3-2 at home, where I thought they actually played pretty decently. But other than that, it's been a rough group stage for Madrid. However, it's easy to forget that Real Madrid probably have at their disposal the best collection of big game players in the world right now. Luka Modric at 35 looked like the Ballon d'Or, Luka Modric, of two or three years ago. Karim Benzema, as you mentioned, this guy is now, this guy is the uh, the fourth highest scorer in the Champions League for a reason. These guys know how to get a result in Europe. Yeah, I mean, here here is the difference between Madrid and Barcelona in one Champions League game week. Because I maintain that this Barcelona team is better than Madrid right now. And yet I will also maintain that we'll finish below them in the league and they will get farther than us in the Champions League. And the reason is because you cannot count out Benzema and Sergio Ramos, right? It's insane that in a group where Madrid have been so poor, so, so poor, 
they still finished on top. They still fi- Madrid do not get humiliated. They refuse to get humiliated. They have never been knocked out of the group stage in the history of the 29-year history of the Champions League. So it says something. I think I mentioned this on our pod last time, Nathan, that the Champions League is the elixir from which Real Madrid continually come back to drink. And they just proved it once again, that I think the Champions League is nothing without Real Madrid in the competition. They are kind of the stalwarts. And and frankly, I think we talk about Barcelona being a club that's in sort of disarray and Madrid have certainly had their issues as well. But the pathway to rebuilding Madrid is incredibly is is far, far easier in my mind than the pathway for rebuilding a post Messi Barcelona, I think. And part of that is because Madrid have a a two year head start, Um, you know, operating under the assumption that this is Messi's last year or if not his it's it's his penultimate year. You know, Madrid have already suffered the sort of post Ronaldo uh, power vacuum. I think they are a few maybe a year away from completely rebuilding this team because obviously they can't keep relying on Benzema Modric um, and Sergio Ramos forever as they you know trend towards 40 but victories like this and definitely displays like what we saw from Furlan Mendy and even Lucas Vazquez at, at right back who has leapfrogged both Carvajal or at least temporarily leapfrogged Carvajal and Odriozola. I mean, it's it's definitely I- encouraging stuff. Yeah, uh, and even Rafael Varane, who's coming off of an embarrassing run of form, put in a really good shift alongside Sergio Ramos. And like you said, Nathan, they have the prospects in this team to supplement those incredibly key players for them, like Modric Benzema, because even Rodrigo today, or even Rodrigo had an assist. You know, someone who's a bit spotty for them, but definitely could turn into a real player in the future. I think he was someone who had to show up big time on the biggest stage, and he was able to do that, unlike some of Barcelona's prospects. And and you have to think that the perfect attacking foil for an aging Karim Benzema is fellow Frenchman Kylian Mbappe, to, for, for whom he could run off the shoulder. Um, and I think that should be absolutely terrifying if you support Atleti or Barcelona. For next year and then throw in Pogba in the midfield mm. well I, I think Pogba actually ends up back at Juventus but that's just recreating probably... the French national team in Madrid part one <laughs> um, probably as a podcast for another time but shall we move on to Inter Milan because Antonio Conte looking at his record in Europe's elite competition it is not good he's only made it to the quarterfinals once in his career with Juventus he's actually had them knocked out at the group stage in the following season he didn't make it past the round of 16 with Chelsea. And now he's been knocked out of the group stage twice with Inter last season going down to the Europa League and this season doing one even worse and they're out of Europe entirely. We've talked about the turmoil that's been going on between Antonio Conte, his squad and the Inter Milan board. But I think this season, Conte has completely fallen on his sword. Completely. Like we saw at the weekend, he brought on Christian Eriksen in the, like the 89th minute just to humiliate him and prove to the world that like he doesn't need Erickson and that he's right for not playing him. And this game, he brings on Christian Erickson late in the game and they look like a completely different team and a completely better team, a more progressive team. Erickson was whipping balls into the box for Lukaku and Sanchez, eventually finding the head of Sanchez, which cleared <laughs> cleared off the line by Shakhtar's defensive player of the year, Romelu Lukaku. And I think Conte... He was extremely volatile in the press. 
afterwards, even with his own like Italian compatriot, Fabio Capello, who Capello said that he felt disrespected after talking to Antonio Conte post-match. So I just kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on this dude who is at his heights in 2017-2018 with Chelsea and now is trying to rebuild himself with the inter-team that we thought would be contenders, but they are truly showing up to be pretenders. Conte's problem is always, honestly, like a lot of Italian coaches, that he's so dogmatic. Like he's one of the least flexible managers in the game. In Serie A, which he knows very well, or even for, you know, a season or two at Chelsea, when he kind of caught the league by surprise with his 3-5-2, he's kind of the first big team to do that in the Premier League, it works. But the Champions League is just a totally different beast. And I just don't think he was able to contend with Madrid, who kind of shockingly showed up only when they played Inter, um, or Mönchengladbach, who play with, I think, a confidence of a Bundesliga team that just doesn't exist in sort of mid-table Italian teams. Like I think, I think Bundesliga teams believe in themselves more than any other kind of like solid team in the world, right? And I think he just refuses to be like, damn, this isn't working. Maybe I should look to Ericsson on the bench. Maybe I should look to Perisic, et cetera. And, and then he just loses as a result because the other teams aren't waiting for him to react. They're just going to keep doing their thing. Um, and once again, they were probably a little unlucky not to beat Shakhtar, but this is weirdly probably what they deserve um, at the oh, end of the day. 100%. And I mean, he complained a lot about how Shakhtar were playing for a draw because they knew that a draw would get them into the Europa League. But like, God but like, forbid, you know, but, like the team needing a draw, play set up to play for a draw. Like as, as an opposition <laughs> coach, like it's your job to set out to try and get the victory. And he's not optimizing his squad right now to do that. Yeah, I'm like, like I don't, I don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, it's part of the game of soccer, right? Like, you have to deal with teams that are, are going to sit back and defend. I mean, Ajax had to deal with Atalanta. You didn't hear Eric Ten Hag go out and be like, "Oh no, Atalanta, we're just you know like playing compact." Because like, you have to design your team to pick apart those weaknesses, and everyone knows the exact nuances of the three-five-two that Conte's team plays. I think that's the other side of what you were saying, Caleb, about how being dogmatic is 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 harmful after a certain point and maybe Conte's strategy of just signing every available 33 to 35 year old free agent perhaps isn't the most winning strategy uh either um nor is bringing off your talented young wing back Akraf Hakimi who already had an assist um or who who looked lively rather on the right at the end of the day inter crash out of europe it is definitely disappointing for them it certainly means that conte's name is probably on the hot seat as well um especially as their crosstown rivals continue uh to have pretty decent form all in all the unbeaten run might be over for ac milan but they uh keep cruising relatively speaking and they are still in europe yeah, I think this is honestly a disgrace for Inter Milan, who are probably one of Europe's big heavyweights. Maybe not in the United States, but certainly in Europe. They're considered a top, top, top team. And Conte was supposed to be the guy to bring them back to their heights that they were about 10 years ago when they won the Champions League. And he is safe to say that he's honestly completely failed. Right. And I, I believe there will be no more Champions League nights at the San Siro, which is certainly a shame. I think that's going to do it for this week. We've got places to be. We've it was got a very angry episode and... from us. I think it was it was one of those episodes where like even it's like if we can tell what's going on in the pitch, 
Like, why can't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Why can't Ronald Koeman? Or why can't Antonio Conte? It was just one of those things where it's like, I can't even believe what I'm watching this week. Some of the decision making. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's 100% that. It's like, how how can they? We're just staring at things that are so wrong. They're they're like incorrect. They're They're false. And we're just like, it shouldn't take, you know, a 22-year-old American to tell like a 55-year-old Italian how to manage his team and beat a Ukrainian team. Like, I'm sorry. It, it was should funny, not be it was that funny difficult. That, what, what you're saying, Caleb, about Conte not having a plan B because in the post-match, in the post-match, in the post-match press conference with Capello, Capello was like, Antonio, it didn't look like to me that you had insert like, you know, Godfather Italian uh, music here between two like Italian Don coaches. Um, he was like, Antonio, it looked like to me that you did not have a plan B. And then Conte was like, of course I had a plan B. And Fabio Capello was like, what was your plan B? And Conte was like, of course, I'm not going to tell you, tell you what my plan B was on television. So it totally indicated that he like did not have a plan B. Because <laughs> like, dude, you're out of the competition. Like, why would you tell us what your plan B is? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. He is like the anti-Bielsa who will just go up and name his entire starting 11 two days before the match. <laughs> I think Bielsa is legally obligated to do that as like as like penance for Spygates. Like, he has to give away information to his yeah, opponents. The, the, the unrepentance of, of Marcel Bielsa is definitely very admirable and, and quite humorous to observe, especially in a world where sort of more combative managers like Conte uh, are taking the limelight. A little bit. Yeah. Conte also probably with the most obvious hair transplant in the game currently. Yeah. Maybe short of like Jordan Shakiri. Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's fair to say. Dapper as always, though. The, the Armani, the Armani fits him. Um, but I think that'll do it for us for today. Um, we will have another podcast coming up later this week. Um play on Monday. Early on Monday, recapping the results from around Europe at the weekend. Champions League yeah, the Champions League draw on Monday as well. We've got Liverpool versus Spurs. We've got the Manchester Derby coming up as well. Um, so all stuff to look forward to. But for until then, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. I've been Nick Vinden. And we hope you enjoy the remainder of your week. I did not have a plan B. What do you mean? Of course I had a plan B. Say hello to my little friend, Christian Eriksen. <laughs> Say hello. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>